You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. But before we do that, we have a couple things we want to tell you, a couple bits of news that you got to get in that sweet, sweet brain of yours. Uh, Number one, I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I... Taught Sunday school, I sing in the worship band, and I am now an atheist. Number two, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. Wait, 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 wait. back up, back up. What are you? I am the non-believing sort of Jew. Great. Also, this podcast may contain material that is objectionable for children. Yeah, it definitely does. That's Your children will say, they'll stand up at the dinner table, slap their hands down and say, I I don't want any damn vegetables. Mm Um, what else do you need to know? I'm reading the New International Version, or NIV. And I usually read the NRSV, or New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Did you this week? Yes. (laughs) Great. I simply did. (laughs) So today we are talking about the book of 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, it's another Pauline epistle. We're still in regular (laughs) Bible. We are back in regular Bible for now, Mm -hmm. slogging through these epistles. Mm -hmm. Slogging through Bibble every week like we do. Um, If this is your first Sunday School Dropouts app and you've lived a blissful life free of Bibble, Mm -hmm. what you need to know about Paul is that he was an early Christian apostle starting uh, basically just after Jesus' death. He originally was uh, part of like a Jewish upper class that persecuted Christians, but then he converted, traveled all over the Roman Empire, founding Christian churches. And he would often write letters to these churches to scold them, uh, explain why his theology was better than the theology of people who Jesus personally instructed, Mm -hmm. and also to go on rants about circumcision. And these letters, a.k.a. epistles, make up a large portion of the New Testament. First Thessalonians is an epistle to the church in Thessalonica, which is still a city in Greece. In fact, it is the second largest city in Greece. Uh, it's the capital of Greek Macedonia. Okay. And uh, That very... sounds like a topic that we are not qualified to discuss. <laughs> well, it's a very popular tourist destination. Oh, lovely. Yes. That sounds lovely. Uh, nowadays, I think you're supposed to pronounce it Thessaloniki. Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you talk about it in like ancient context or like in biblical context, it's Thessalonica. Okay. That's um, like the Roman name as opposed to the Greek name? I don't really know. Cool, I, cool, cool, cool. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> I could not imagine anything yeah. less interesting. And if anyone's going to be interested in it, it's me. So if even I find it boring, we should run away. Chronologically, this is actually probably the first epistle that Paul wrote that we still have. Oop. Um. Probably written around the year 52, so mm. about 20-ish years after Jesus died. Wow. Um, Shattering the timeline. Yeah. So the theology in it isn't super fleshed out yet, mm. which I think is why they put it like at the end of the epistles. They mm. put it like last. Because it's weak. Because it's weak. It needs meat on them bones. Even though it was written first. Mm. And like most of the New Testament, it was written in... Koina Greek. Those are your fast facts. Were they fast enough for you, baby? Baby, I didn't even notice them. That's how fast they were. Nice. They were like 
lightning. They were like sound. They were like sea biscuit. Mm-hmm. He was fast. That's a fast horse, baby. So chapter one, we have a very standard opening. Uh, the letter says it's from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Silas mm-hmm. and Timothy are two uh, two dudes that uh, assist Paul a lot. Just two crude dudes. They're just two dudes with a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, he praises the church for turning from paganism to Christianity. So this is presumably a church that's mostly Gentiles, even though there were there was a Jewish population there. He seems to be addressing Gentiles. That's kind of Paul's specialty. Well, yeah, that was the one he picked out at the Apostles Conference when everybody was like, <laughs> who wants to do what? And he was like, Gentiles. Gentiles. Um, yeah, so these are, I guess, people uh, changing from, from Greek gods. So replacing. Replacing their awesome varied gods yeah. <laughs> with a like an un, un, unknowable, mysterious, mysterious single sun god. Yeah. Replacing Zeus. With Jesus. Mm? Did she do it? I think she did. She did it. Um, chapter two starts with some classic Pauline defensiveness. <laughs> uh, quote, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. <laughs> Paul has to insist that he's not a failure like a lot. <laughs> Which is a great sign. Generally right. speaking, if you spend your whole life insisting that you're not a failure, I mean, you might be a human being. That's <laughs> kind of the default state of, of humanity, I think. But it's weird that, like, we made that into the basis of a religion. <laughs> this one guy being super defensive. I just, I love that you can read this book and see so clearly that it's Paul. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Paul's an asshole, but... I do find it so genuinely cool that like there was this guy that lived 2000 years ago in a completely different world Mm -hmm. who had like nothing in common with me. And yet I understand his like thoughts and feelings well enough that I read this and I go, oh, this is definitely Paul. Hmm. You know, like that. I I know Paul better than I know like some acquaintances, you know. That's why history and like literature is magic. Oh, that's why it's magic. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he keeps on. Defensively explaining how he converted the Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. Um, Some good quotes here are, The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Mm. Another great thing to go around saying Why are you bringing this up? Like, after you already converted them. Um, You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. I mean, like, they were there, so... If you didn't do that, you don't need to tell him, you know. But so with the old timey means of transportation and whatnot, Mm -hmm. could he be talking like to a whole different group of Thessalonians than the ones that he originally converted? Um, Because in my mind, he's like recounting his historical uh, exploits in Thessalonica. I mean, well, it's only been he's only been like working for 20 years. It's a good point. At this point. So it's probably the same people, which makes it even more condescending to be like, our mission was a tremendous success, as you remember. Yeah, exactly. You know that we were great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another classic Paul excuse about how he really, really wanted to come visit them recently, but, quote, Satan stopped me, so I sent Timothy instead. Mm-hmm. That's like, anyone <laughs> forging a Pauline epistle should uh-huh. have just been like... I really wanted to go visit you guys. It was just like my number one priority, but I couldn't do it. And so I sent Timothy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would believe any Pauline epistle was authentic if it had this shit where he sends Timothy instead. Now I'm curious about like the diary of Timothy, the acts of Timothy, you know? Well, fucking, you know what comes after Thessalonians, right? No, I have no idea, actually. First and second Timothy. What? Yeah. We're going to hear from the man himself? Uh, No, we're going to hear from Paul again. Oh, as usual. <laughs> I'm just saying it would be an interest like it would be an interesting Rosencrantz and Guildenstern scenario <laughs> mm-hmm. if Timothy were like fucking Paul is at it again telling stories. I had to fucking travel over to Thessalonica again. <laughs> Sweep up his mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
then Paul starts talking about how he was really worried that the church in Thessalonica would be persecuted, and it turned out that they were. Did I say persecuted funny? No, you said persecuted. it great. You I said, said, you said I made it sound like it was cute. Mm-hmm. Which is, look, I'm going to go out on a limb and say persecution is hardly ever cute. <laughs> per se. <laughs> it's not per se cute. <laughs> um, he says it turned out that they were persecuted um he doesn't go into detail about it but you can imagine that in like a huge greek city like a regional greek capital that the first christians wouldn't exactly be popular true unless they had an awesome recipe for tasty bread and cheese (laughs) that's all you need in greece (laughs) that's my understanding um, Apologies to all of our Greek listeners. <laughs> Apologies for our anti-Greek racism in this segment. I mean, um, it's is it anti-Greek? It's pro-Greek racism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like, so this is back in the day. It was kind of like everyone was expected to contribute to the country's welfare mm. by, you know, making the proper sacrifices and. You know, I see. So if, you know, they would be like, we're trying to have a good harvest out here and you're not worshiping Demeter and or whoever. (laughs) We noticed you didn't lay the necessary fucking wreaths or drop off a bag of grain or whatever you're supposed to do. And so like when people start going hungry, we're going to know who to blame. Yeah. Which is not a good place to be in as an early Christian. Right. Or honestly, (laughs) or anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Paul was afraid that they'd give up. When the going got tough, or as he puts it, uh, quote, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, uh, which my Bible decided was a great time for a footnote that says, Satan is spoken of in every major division of the New Testament. He's supreme among evil spirits. His activities can affect the physical and the spiritual. He tempted Jesus, and he continues to tempt Jesus' servants. And it goes on and on. And I was like, why... This is a great time for a primer on Satan Why did this, in the footnotes. I mean, like, it does the tempter. Yes, uh-huh. I understand that's probably referring to Satan. It was just like, okay, yeah, we know who Satan is. <laughs> like, this is not, we don't need. It's okay. not the first time we've heard of him. We're probably not opening up the Bible randomly to First Thessalonians and being like, who's this tempter? Who's this he tempter? Kept? <laughs> But so Timothy went and reported back to Paul Mm -hmm. that everybody was, quote, standing firm in the Lord. Damn straight. So good for them. I'm proud of them. Good for them. Now we get into some instructions on how to live, which is Paul's specialty. It is. I thought we were almost going to make it through this whole letter without (laughs) some, like, instructions. You foolish boy. (laughs) You sweet, naive boy. And, I mean, thinking about it, at the time, there's seems like there would be very little reason to include instructions in this letter. Why? I mean, like, he's writing them basically to congratulate them. Well, he's acting like he's writing to congratulate them. Okay. But really, You have access to his secret motives. I mean, what is Paul's motive? It's always to keep people in line. Mm-hmm. It's always to make sure they're following his version of Christianity. Hmm. So... I think he's going like, yes, you guys are great. Love you so much. Can't believe how awesome you are. Make sure that you don't have sex. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is um, the number one priority. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Um, Another piece of advice here is make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. That's great. I actually think minding your own business is a very underrated virtue. I agree. And that more people should mind their own business. But it's kind of rich coming from Paul who wants to like... Well, he's the king of not minding his own business. Micromanage people down to the foreskin, Mm -hmm. you know. Um. In all this advice, it's it's very standard Pauline advice about like being nice to each other, forgiving each other, um, which is all great. I approve of all that. Um, and then all of a sudden he just throws in, uh, oh, also the end of the world is coming. Uh, God himself is going to come down from heaven and the dead will rise from their graves and people will be physically levitated into heaven. OK, so anyway, um, don't gossip. Be nice to each other. <laughs> 
It's like so. Here's how that section goes in in text. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Mm -hmm. We will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So... Well, he's saying, like, that's how close the apocalypse is. Oh, I see. I see. I see. It's, like, about to happen. Got it. Which, I I don't know anything about this, but, I mean, he's clearly working from the, like, Jewish idea of Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. Um, That the dead will be raised. Yeah. In, like, weird clay, non-human bodies or whatever. And then sorted into wicked and righteous, Mm -hmm. um, which... Maybe like very confusing for Greeks at this time. I don't know. I don't know very much about what Greek people believed at this time. But um, I mean, clearly, like I know a little bit about the Greek afterlife, you know. From... But presumably people in the Holy Land will be familiar with this millennial idea of the of the resurrection of the of Judgment Day and the resurrection of everybody. Right. Would they people well, in. In Thessalonica? Who? Not in Thessalonica, that's what I'm saying. Oh, but yeah, yeah, people yeah. who have a have a Jewish background would be familiar with this. Yes, idea. absolutely. So that's why he's probably saying And 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 Paul is a Pharisee, so he's very familiar with this. Mm-hmm. So he has to be like, Oh, just a reminder about our whole deal with right. the judgment day and everything. Here's like a quick rundown of it. Right. Yeah. I don't know, like it's it's kinda interesting to think about how this particular audience would have thought of that, you know? Yeah, I have I know idea. They, like the Greeks had and the Romans had a, a like very developed idea of the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here comes this foreigner being like, oh, actually, it's like this. Yeah. I don't know. I also don't know. But I think it's weird that Paul throws it in here. This isn't a point that he usually makes in his letters. Right. Which is like. It's oh, a, by the way, let me remind you about Judgment Day. Right, yeah. He like That's not usually that's a, not a his selling usual point. topic. Yeah. yeah. Um Here's a fun passage about Judgment Day. Are you ready? Uh sure. <laughs> now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, Mm. and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So this is a fun passage because it has inspired endless, extremely tiresome arguments about whether or not Christians are supposed to or are allowed to predict when the second coming will be. Oh, I see. Because it's going to come like a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. So, like, we can't know. But Christians aren't in the dark. So maybe they can know. So if you ignore what he's saying, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and if you listen to what he's saying, you could also do whatever you want and just find some justification for it. We don't need to get too far into that, but that's like a huge thing in some Christian circles. My dear, I'm glad I have never heard of that before because that is extremely tiresome. I figured you would never have heard of it. <laughs> and so I just wanted to bring it up so that everybody great, could though. know that it's exhausting. What do you think? Should Should people be able to predict the end of the world? Well, I will say... That there's a very interesting podcast episode about this mm. um, from the podcast History Honeys. If you want to hear about uh, Christian groups who have tried to predict when the apocalypse will happen, check out the History Honeys episode on the Millerites. Mm. It includes <laughs> material about that dumb statue in the book of Daniel. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> That's impossible to make interesting. <laughs> And I'm really glad that another podcast had to tackle it. First, Ono, Ross, and Carrie had to tackle it. And now history, honeys. (laughs) I just Um, think, I think if you have something that everybody has gotten wrong every single time. Yes. That that pretty much solves it. Mm -hmm. You would think that, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. That's not what Christianity is about, baby. (laughs) I always think people are conflating their own fear of death. 
with some sort of millen- millennial mm-hmm. idea or millenarian, I, I suppose. I guess, yeah. Not millennial, millenarian idea of the end of the world. Well, both, really, at this point. Sure, yeah. Millennials ruined the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. At this point, I have a... When we stopped buying breakfast cereal, suddenly <laughs> everyone knew that the end when, of the world was going to When we killed start. the breakfast cereal industry. I have like a, a reverse complex about this where... <laughs> reverse complex. Yeah, because like global warming has made the end of the world feel so imminent for me mm-hmm. um, in a way that like wasn't actually true for past generations. And now I feel like, oh, no, like every generation predicts that this is the last generation, but now we're actually like at the gates. But doesn't it depend on the quality of the information? I mean, the quality of information that we have about global warming is very high. It's very high, I'd right. Say. But exactly. our standards for quality of information are also much higher than they might have been even 100 years ago. But so my complex is like when I think about dying, uh-huh. I think like, wouldn't it be great if like it was just me dying, just an individual and not society, <laughs> which is like the opposite of the whole predicting that the end is near and like you can't conceive of yourself dying without the whole world dying right. with you. Right. I'm like, Please, please, just kill me. <laughs> Let the rest of the world go on. Well, I mean, you're a you're a unique one, baby. There's a reason why I'm with you. <laughs> My death drive is strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the book of First Thessalonians wraps up with a section called Final Instructions. <laughs> Ominous, but uh, <laughs> I know. And yet, this is not the ominous part of the book. It's just you know, like work hard, uh, warn the idle, keep. Uh, helping the weak, encourage the timid. What about, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. What does that mean? I don't know, it's interesting. It's like, don't um, reject prophecies out of hand, but also don't 100% believe them. Also relates to the question of whether or not you can predict the apocalypse yeah it's very it's very open-minded advice in my opinion from a burgeoning church leader yeah that's true to his to his young flock that's true um also in there is my little brother's baptism verse <gasps> which is that's first... right everybody <laughs> the mystery is solved she has a brother uh i have one little sister and one little brother and my brother's god they're so small <laughs> My brother's baptism versus First Thessalonians 5.15. Do not pay back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. <laughs> I've repeated it about a billion times during my life. My little brother once tried to convince my dad to let him get that as a tattoo. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to use like a different translation mm. that's like, don't pay back evil for evil or something. And I was like, no, the verses always try to be kind to each other. It is not a badass verse. Like it doesn't, it will not make a good tattoo. <laughs> I also tried to let my dad, to convince my dad to let me get a tattoo. I was like, what if it's like in Hebrew? What if it's like from the Bible? What if it's like in Elvish? What if it's like in Elvish? That's like. What if it's just a Bible verse except in Elvish? <laughs> Would you have gotten that tattoo when you were 18? I mean, like, probably. I mean, I didn't. I don't have any tattoos. Hmm. I have a lot of piercings, but no tattoos. You don't have any piercings or tattoos. That's right. Clean boy. Now that mystery is solved as well. Pure boy. People are like, how many tattoos does he have? <laughs> what kind of piercings this one's got? Answer: zero. Zero point zero. Mm-hmm. But that is basically all that anyone. Arguably more than anyone could possibly say about First Thessalonians. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's the end of the show because we have a fantastic segment coming up very shortly. We're checking back in with an old friend of the show talking about somebody you may recognize. You may have heard of this guy, the big man upstairs, mm-hmm. Mr. JC. That's right. We're not going to tell you who it is. You'll find out after this break. See you in a second. Bye. Bye.
Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we are talking about the book of First Thessalonians. Or Sort of. Yeah. I mean, we were in the first half. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to do something more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is talk to my friend and friend of the show, Tespi Herwies. Um, she was on our Jonah episode, giving us a little explainer about uh, how Jonah is portrayed in Islam. She's a writer and journalist in Los Angeles, um, where she works for the website Good. Tespi, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be back. Yay! Hello! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I know we uh, asked you your religious background last time, as we do for all our guests, but for um, for anyone who has forgotten, would you like to uh, give us your religious background again? Yes, of course. Um, I was raised and continue to be a practicing Muslim. Um, Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. That's good. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) She got only one. That's all you need. (laughs) I felt like I was ramping up for a great story there, but then they just... (laughs) (laughs) And um, Tuspy today is going to tell us about how Jesus is portrayed in Islam. And so Jonah was more or less the same mm-hmm. <laughs> in yes. in Judaism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I have a feeling that's not going to be the case with Jesus. I am very ignorant. So if my questions get too ignorant, just tell me to fuck off. <laughs> great. Absolutely. I feel I have the license. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so in Islam... Jesus is not the son of God, but he is no. a, a prophet, correct? Yes, um, because we don't have the, uh, what is it called? The the God, the Holy Ghost, the Tri... Oh, the Trinity. Trinity. <laughs> Trinity. Yeah. We don't have the Trinity in Islam. We have uh, God is God and Jesus is the son of Mary. There is the Immaculate Conception mm. there, so that's one parallel. Um He's not God, but he's the penultimate um, prophet or penultimate messenger of God. So that's Um, the second to last one with Muhammad being the last? Exactly. He precedes Muhammad. Um, And he is, I think, one of the the major prophets of God um, in Islam. He's mentioned in the Quran, I think, maybe the most or second to most. Um, to Muhammad, I want to say the most. I want to go ahead and say he's he's mentioned the most in the Quran. Wow. Um, and another big difference um, in the Quran in in the in the Jesus story, the Jesus story in Islam is that uh, he didn't die. Um, instead, he was either. I mean, there's some there's some difference of opinion on it, but um, uh-huh. <laughs> that he. I mean all. In all the stories, he didn't die. There's just a difference of opinion about what happened after. And um, the major story is that he was uh, raised to heaven but alive. Is that a thing that happens a lot to prophets? Because I know it happens to Elijah. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know. I don't okay. I think he's the only, he's the only story that I know where that happens. Got it. That's not like yeah. the normal thing that happens at the end of a prophet's no. life. They just zoom up. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fly up on a strong is, draft. Yeah. There is a concept of um, of return for the prophet. So the, that was kind of, it was conceptualized. The, the reason that he didn't die, he was raised alive, is that he was going to come back. But he wasn't going to be resurrected. He was never dead in the first place. That's so interesting because... Uh, obviously, Christianity has this big thing about Jesus's second coming for some reason. That's you know, like, <laughs> and a lot of people are really focused on that and uh, how what's going to happen at the end of the world. Now, I know Islam has its own story about, I mean, probably multiple versions of it depending on which sect you're in. But I know they have you have a story about the end of the world, but I don't know anything about it. Is is that like the same thing? Like Jesus coming the second time? Yeah, and so the second coming in Islam would usher in kind of the end of the world, but we're not entirely sure when he'll come or there's no there's no predictive um 
there are signs of the end of the world and mm. but there's no like predictive I, I know that there's some people I know in some sects of christianity there's some way to predict an exact time um but yeah and the appearance of jesus is something that a lot of people will not notice and he'll say that he is jesus and no one will believe him hmm. um at least this is what we're told and uh yeah he'll show up he'll walk among us we won't know that he's there and then the end of the world will come shortly soon after which is um, like kind of a bummer for jesus you know <laughs> do people try to predict the time because like in Christianity, you're not really like supposed to be able to predict it either, but mm-hmm. people try anyway. And they've tried right. many, many, many times. Yeah, and they keep trying. <laughs> Does anyone try that in Islam or Oh, for sure. For sure. There's oh, a okay. lot of different um there's a lot of different like signs. Um and one of the signs is that um like there's like this one that people cite all the time, which is that um when men of the desert build huge buildings in in impossible places and so one of the signs Ah. people you know so they always talk about dubai or abu dhabi as one of those signs Uh this huge city has propped up in the desert um there's i mean there's other kinds of signs that talk about um the appearance of the uh um who uh is like the antichrist um and oh. yeah and so uh has anyone spotted him recently <laughs> is it trump I, you know, be honest my money's on trump <laughs> um well they do say that the messiah will have one eye that's one of the one of the things that i've heard not hmm. entirely sure where that little thing comes from but um jesus will return to kind of fight the Messiah Dijal and, um, or not to fight, but to kind of combat or to save us from him. And then uh, shortly, like I said, shortly thereafter, the end of the world uh, will be ushered in. Now I'm hearing a word in there that's something like Masi. Is that the, mm-hmm. the equivalent of Messiah? Yeah, exactly. And so, so Dijal means like false or like not, not anti. Yeah. So anti, yeah, antichrist. Yes. <laughs> Does that mean that Jesus is a messiah? Um, he's kind of a messiah figure for sure. Yeah, in in Islam. Um, what does definitely... messiah mean in Islam? Because it means something very different in Judaism and in Christianity. Mm-hmm. I think it means um, just a savior, um, someone who to re- who will like redeem us from our like redeem us from our own. Um, evils or the evils that we brought onto ourselves. The Messiah Dijal is definitely a manifestation of that. Um, he's hmm. someone that like the figure is someone that uh, is kind of our sin incarnate, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Messiah or Jesus is meant to return to kind of redeem us from, from that to help us, um, I don't just yeah redeem us from from those sins sure I mean that's um that's pretty similar to Christianity it's mm-hmm. just that in Christianity he does it by dying right <laughs> and then all and the all, mechanics of how he, the dying helps that are very unclear yeah, like everybody's sins from the present day get shot back in time to right before he died so that he can die and redeem them or something like that oh wow um, there's also there's also a different there's two other figures um there's all like two chaotic figures that he's meant to come and help save us from um and I think they're Yajuj and Majuj and I think they're the Oh ones. that's Gog and Magog. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're also meant to appear um as kind of harbingers of the judgment day. Um and uh and it's actually yes, it's actually after um Jesus's death. Sorry, I'm I'm totally spacing right now. It's actually after Jesus's death, Jesus will come back and then die, and the end of the world will happen after his funeral. Oh, so he's not dead, yes. but he'll come back and then yes. die for reals this time. Yes, yeah, and there's some in some traditions. Um, there's the idea that he'll actually um, uh, assume some kind of. Uh, role as ruler of the world um, is it for, for a thousand for, years 
I don't think it's as much as a thousand years. Okay. I think it's something under 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 a hundred for sure. Okay, under a hundred <laughs> in Christianity, it's a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's Is a lot. Of years. Yeah, we get a That's whole millennium. So many years. Can you imagine <laughs> the white hairs that will? <laughs> Is there a term limit really... situation? Like you can't go over one hundred years. Those, you know those photos that show you like Obama before. During his campaign, and then Obama after, just like looks <laughs> yes. tired and wrinkled. Like, can you imagine Jesus? After what Jesus thousand... looks like? Not just after a thousand year rule, but like also being in heaven for all this time. <laughs> yeah, I would assume that heaven would be years. would be very restful. But that's <laughs> sure. just that's just an assumption. <laughs> I mean, for for a human, yeah, but for Jesus, he's mm. got to run around answering everybody's prayers and shit. Like, it's probably not relaxing at all. Oh, shit. Yeah. Poor guy. Especially after everything that's <laughs> happened already. Mm-hmm. He's been through enough. And in Arabic, it's Jesus is Isa. Is that correct? Yeah, Isa. So it's um, the first letter. Isa Ayn, uh, actually doesn't exist in the in the English language. But um, yeah, his name is Isa. Sometimes I-, I think he's also referred to as um, Ahmed. Oh, really? Yeah, which kind of is like the precursor to Muhammad. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I recognize yeah. that grammar from Hebrew, putting the <laughs> M in front. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there is there isn't a virgin birth. There is a virgin birth. So he is the son of Mary, um, and it is a uh, it is an immaculate conception. So we have that same same plot line uh-huh. in our story. <laughs> is Joseph in there at all? Because if he's Jesus, son of Mary, is there is there any earthly human father figure? I don't think so. It doesn't sound there is a Joseph, um, but I don't. But he's not he, he's not involved in the conception or in the in any kind of way. And hold on, hold he's on. not a carpenter. Like no, he's not a carpenter. We don't okay. have the carpenter story. Okay, but. Um, <laughs> In the in the story, he's not her husband, or they they never get married. But I believe mm. he does have a role in um in in his life, in Jesus' life. Yeah. Huh. And I'm looking right now at this Wikipedia page, uh, which is my prime uh, source for religious uh, texts. Yeah, yeah. I wish we could. I wish we could say otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> Where else would you turn the Bible, the Quran, yeah. the <laughs> Any time I need religious explication, I'm like, what's the wiki for that? Um, <laughs> is this Joseph the carpenter had a more prominent, according to some scholars, I say Joseph the carpenter. So I guess he is a carpenter in this story too, just not a prominent one. Um, but in some of the stories, he it, he does have more of a role, um, hmm. but he's just not mentioned as a relative or husband of Mary. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. It's kind of cool that, that he doesn't have that role. I mean, if you're really trying to strip the Jesus story down to its its bare parts, you would absolutely cut the stepdad out because he doesn't have any <laughs> religious significance. I mean, the amazing part of the story is the virgin birth, the transfer of that purity from like a woman directly to a baby, which turns into the scion of God or whatever. Like, that's the crazy part. It's not crazy that like. That she was married. Yeah. And she had, a, she had a step, like he had a stepdad yeah. and then they had other kids later. Like, that's not crazy. It's true. Um, What's crazy is that she didn't have to go through traditional sex part. <laughs> traditional sex part. <laughs> My band name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad you guys came to me for all the insightful Islam things. <laughs> I've got the words for it. <laughs> um. So let's see. Also, Ma- Mary is Maryam in the in the Quran. I don't know if that, if that's pertinent, but she's she goes by Maryam. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's I guess like an older like Mary because Mary is anglicized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's really interesting because um when in in the Arabic tradition in the Arab tradition, um. You, your last name, your name becomes, your father's name becomes your kind of middle name. So uh-huh. my, my dad's name is Khalid, as in DJ. And so <laughs> my full name is Tasbih Khalid. 
and then Awad, which is his father's name, Abdullah, which is his father's father's name, Harwiz. Um, but so it's like a very patriarchal tradition. But like Arisa, because he didn't have a father, was Arisa ibn Maryam, which mm. is really kind of fucking cool. That is cool. Because yeah. like in Christianity or and like according to Jewish naming conventions at the time or whatever, yeah. like he would have been Jesus Ben Joseph. Yeah. But like it's dumb because <laughs> Joseph's not his <laughs> real dad. <laughs> but Joseph Joseph raised him. God yeah. was an absent father. God yeah. was an absentee father. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of It wasn't like God oh, was go teaching on. him how to ride a bike and, you know, like how to hammer a how to do carpentry. Nail. Yeah. <laughs> so Joseph did. God just called in the favor at 33 and then just said, okay, great work raising yourself, you know? <laughs> no, you know, it's cool because it breaks up like patriarchal, like patrilineal, like tradition um, in this accidental way. Yeah, that's something that's super interesting to me about Catholicism is that they like worship Mary and pray to Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like, which seems so, like, feminist in a way that, that like, the second highest person that you pray to is Mary, mm-hmm. is a woman. Mm-hmm. But then also, like, women can't be clergy, like, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a very patriarchal institution, like, literally. It's kind of, it fits into this kind of um, paradigm of seeing women in general in religion, which is, like, this extreme deification, but also on the other side, um... Still, still misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> still inferior, still occupying a subordinate role. So it's like we worship you as goddesses, but also uh, cook my dinner. <laughs> That's like pretty much the story of like organized religion. <laughs> like, that just sums it up in one sentence. Yeah. Um, so in Islam, there's stories about Jesus's childhood. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have those in Christianity. Not in the canonical Bible, although there are many stories of Jesus's childhood in the apocryphal, apocryphal. Yeah. yeah, apocryphal books. I don't think they're. In, I don't think they're in the actual Quran. I think there was. Um, so there's a famous book called Qisas al-Anbiya, and or Qisas al-Anbiya, which is, um, it was just written. Uh, it was written after. Um, it's called Stories of the Prophets. And there's some stories about his childhood there, but I don't think in the actual um in the actual Quranic text there's uh, a lot a ton of stories. That makes sense. So <laughs> yeah. that's kinda like a an apocryphal Bible book. Yeah, pretty much. Like there was after Jesus' death, there was just a big hunger for more knowledge about more Jesus content. More Jesus content, yeah. So people came up with like crazy stories about him as a little kid. All that crazy Jesus content. People, people can't get enough of it. <laughs> I can't wait for for like the eventual like Showtime or HBO thing that's like Jesus, but sexy. Mm. Edgy Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gritty reboot of Jesus. Sex position yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It's definitely going to come. Um, so that's all my questions. Um, is there anything else that you feel like, I don't know, that you want to sum up or that you find that non-Muslims have like misconceptions about or anything like that regarding Jesus? I think just in my childhood, Jesus always occupied this like strange, um, this strange space for us because we didn't believe it was God. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, he was like this one, like this major common denominator. And so I just remember growing up a lot and being like, well, we believe in Jesus, too. And like trying to uphold him as that kind of common thread as a kind of like not olive branch, but like. Like your guys, our guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was like this weird territorial feeling. So like that's kind of I don't know. It's it's kind of. um it's kind of an interesting an interesting uh way to like find common ground. Yeah. <laughs> Your gods are prophet. 
<laughs> it's like pretty close. <laughs> yeah, almost there because he was only—he's the only one that we we knew. You know, there wasn't any other, um, like Christians uh, definitely have no claim to Muhammad. Muhammad, yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. <laughs> and no one really knows about the other guys. You know, no one's talking like Jonah. about Jonah. <laughs> Poor Jonah. No one really. <laughs> But Jesus, Jesus is a good, you know, way of kind of normalizing Islam for people, you know, because they mm. knew what Jesus was. So it's a good point of reference. Um, yeah. Does that work? Did that ever, like, gain traction with somebody in your experience? You know, I think it I think it does. Um, I remember going to back when in college, they'd have um, they'd have these uh, they'd some of the Muslims would table, um, so like table proselytize, and um, they had like these bumper stickers and these like booklets that were like, we love Jesus too. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine, I can only imagine that it's a strategy that worked for them because I remember seeing those bumper stickers and booklets for years and years and years. Um, And I've seen, I think I've also seen like a billboard or two that's like, read the Quran, Jesus is in it. (laughs) (laughs) do you want to know more about jesus bumper stickers is the answer bumper stickers (laughs) and billboards we love jesus i think it would be offensive to a lot of christians i mean what doesn't offend a lot of christians but like (laughs) um to to say like oh yeah jesus was cool but he wasn't like the son of god yeah Mm. yeah i don't know i think it was always also um the trinity I think was kind of attacking the Trinity was kind of your easiest uh, point in like as a Muslim proselytizer, if you were proselytizing, it's like the weakest argument. It's like, yeah, it makes know, no sense. Yeah. You'd like talk to someone and be like, do you really believe he was both God and son of God and like human at the same, you know? And so it was like the easiest way to just like attack someone's logic. Um, if you wanted to bring them over to, <laughs> bring them over to your side so it was like just the most it was just an easy entry point so even from that from that perspective for on that point and then there's also the fact that he was a common denominator it's just like um but anytime you'd start to talk to a lot of christians um i think i i've, I've never proselytized myself but my friends who did used to do that did used to do that um have told me that uh most Christians they talk to have at one point in their life questioned the logic of the Trinity and questioned. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. So it's just a very, uh, it's, it's just the easiest way to, to, to go into it. Interesting. Yeah. I've never seen any Muslims proselytizing Not sure at I a table either. or anything, which I passed Jehovah's Witnesses and like street preachers every single day. I don't it's think the, I've ever seen. It's definitely not part of the tradition. Um, it's in terms of, you know, um, it's it, we're definitely encouraged to proselytize, um, but we don't have a traditional missionary. We don't have a, we don't have a missionary tradition. Um, mm. So it's usually kind of a lot of post 9-11, a lot of groups emerged um there's one, I can't remember what they were called, but um, they're the ones I'd see table all the time. Um, but because we don't have that tradition, that missionary tradition, it's not as um, it's not as aggressive or like, you know, it's not as uh, obvious. Door to door. Yeah. And I think just kind of the way that um, Muslim identities became politicized after 9-11 <clears throat> A lot of uh-huh. proselytization wasn't seen as proselytization. It was seen as kind of, um, kind of a social activism in terms of dispelling stereotypes or you know mm. helping people understand Islam better so that they um, so that life would be easier for Muslim Americans um, so that they didn't you know and most people I mean most religious people or a lot of religious people don't know how to um, explain some com- like common misconceptions about Islam, you know, like 
if you go mm-hmm. to your average Muslim person, try to explain, ask them, you know, well, what's it say in this here part of your book where it talks about whatever, and they're just not equipped to explicate and interpret something and go into, you know, um, Islamic jurisprudence and all that. Um, <laughs> right. Like most people are not. So they, they would have those tables were kind of did this dual thing, which was they both help spread Islam as a, um, <clears throat> as a religion but they also helped kind of do that social social activisty work of like just making islam less foreign scary or scary whatever, yeah. to your average joe and having people there who can um who are who are equipped to answer those questions who can say well actually this is why this is wrong you know it's a it's a really interesting double role that mm-hmm. like christian proselytizers never have to they don't have think to explain yeah. what it is to be Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking, in America. In America, yeah. yeah. I think that answers all the questions that we had about Jesus and Islam. I'm sure we'll think of many more later. Hopefully we will. Hopefully this is something that will keep us up all night. Um, but, Tespi, where can people find you online? Uh, they can probably find me on Twitter at T-H-E-R-W-E-E-S. And of course, you're on good dot is. Oh, duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my <Good> day job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that thing. They can find you at work if they really want to be extra about it. Yeah, <laughs> they can. Look, Twitter is Twitter is your real job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is sometimes. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. And I will see you around on Twitter. See you around. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. There's only one thing left to do, really, which is to rate this book. Rate this book. As a reminder, we're rating First Thessalonians, the name of the episode that you're listening to right now. Rate this book. If you have forgotten it, I wouldn't be surprised because, frankly, I barely remember it. Frankly, Mr. Shankly, I will give this book four out of eight labor pains of a pregnant woman. Okay. Because I feel like it was pretty middle of the road Paul stuff uh nothing that made me say like yeah that's that's really great I love that uh but also nothing that like defended slavery so you know uh 50% very much along those same lines I'm going to give it 1 out of 2 lusts of a pagan nice because of the same reasons uh it's rel- it's pretty inconsequential yeah. All things considered, but uh-huh. it's also inoffensive. <laughs> so there's that. And Paul's central message is one of, you know, love, but also preparedness for the apocalypse. So it's kind of like you get the good, you get the bad. You it's not. get them both and then you have mm-hmm. the facts of Paul. The facts of Paul. Let's move on to the mailbag, shall we? I would love to dive into that sweet mailbag. There's a heat wave going on in San Francisco, California, and I got to say that mailbag looks cool as a cuke right mighty now. cool mm-hmm. our listener holly wrote us and sent us a cat to curse named colby charlotte who thinks that the dining room table and everything else in our home slash the world is rightly hers for the taking and who am i to argue with that classic cat logic listener steve sent us a very nice email uh, including a dog to bless named tilford who is 12 years old 12 years old old man of the forest that's a white muzzle dog white muzzle baby and a tuxedo cat to curse named Lydia, who, quote, though sweet, is constantly knocking things off my wife's dresser, chasing after the dog to smack him on the butt, and attempting to steal bacon off our plates. Sounds like a delightful rascal. Our listener, Missy, wrote in. She grew up, quote, a bit more evangelical than Lauren's background, although not super fundy, but enough to give me a handful of complexes! Yay, complexes! Just a handful, though. No more than that I couldn't possibly... <laughs> She also sent us two cats to curse, Thursday Next and Captain Jack Darkness. Nice. Nice cat names. Uh, Listener Thelonious08, who we're always talking to on Twitter, sent us a cat to curse named Drake, who looks very fed up with the world. Agreed. Uh, Sometimes, according to Thelonious, he steals ham from a sandwich left on the counter, but mostly he sleeps a lot. I mean, I would do both of those things if I could. Unfortunately... My stealing hand was injured in an accident many years ago. (laughs) And your hand stealing just hasn't been the same since. Our listener, Lewis, wrote us an email about going to Catholic school as a child and being punished for, among other things, calling Jesus magical. He's magical. What are you going to do? I don't 
What are you going to say? See how else you could describe He's him. He's magical. Uh, he also sent us three amazing fat cats named Pan, Liddy, and Storm. They all lie on their backs and proudly display their fat bellies to the world. Those are big fat cats that seem like they know a little something we don't. <laughs> he also sent us a little terrier named Harry. Aw, Harry. So, curses for cats. Two, Colby Charlotte, Lydia, Thursday Next, Captain Jack Darkness, Drake, Pan, Liddy, and Storm, I say. The Lord will punish cats for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And to Tilford and Harry, I say, may the God of peace himself sanctify dogs entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Very Reverend Lovejoy of you, baby. Thank you. But that will do it for Sunday School Dropouts today. Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at SunSchoolDrop. And it's the same URL on Facebook. And if you want to, maybe, I don't know, give us a super nice five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called right now. We'd like really appreciate that. I'd appreciate it too, especially if you would never, ever talk like that again. <laughs> we could, you could be like um, Novel Lady who gave us 24 out of 24 existential crises. You could be like Mrs. B. Joy who loves Nico's, I don't know who that is, musical styling. That's you, baby. Oh. You could be like D. Allen 1400 who says there, Aunt Karen gave us 11 out of 10 pearls of wisdom. Finally, cracking the Aunt Karen demographic. Finally. One of the most important demos in contemporary (laughs) P-casting, from my understanding. Ginkgo Mortis gave us 11 out of 11 very confused disciples at the Last Supper. I guess that must be after Judas left, because otherwise there should be 12, usually. Um, Maybe that's the source of the confusion. Yeah, uh, it sounds confusing. I'm confused. (laughs) And Squirrelgraph said, I was not raised religious and I don't want to be, but I do love learning about all this hilarious knowledge. It's our pleasure to talk about hilarious knowledge <laughs> so, and learn right alongside you. <laughs> Thank you so much to everybody who gave us an iTunes review. And we just need like five more or so until we reach 100 and can cyberbully Nico into joining Twitter. If you want to send us email, including possibly pets to bless or curse. Dog friend or cat. Dog enemy, friend or cat. Or lizard, bird, horse. Cow. Horse cows, totally acceptable. We'll decide how to curse or bless them upon receiving a delicious photo. You can do so by sending us email to contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. Do not go to contact at sundayschooldropouts.com. That is not a real thing. And fuck you. It's a loser place for losers. (laughs) If you want to follow Lauren on Twitter, you can do so at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille does it, not any other way. And if you want to follow Nico's musical journey, including music from his new band and music from this very show, go to NicoBakulich.com. That's N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. Big thanks to Elise Carlton for our... Logo and original art, still the best part of the show after so many eps. <laughs> so many years, such as one year. Uh, and of course, I always thank Nico for his sound engineering, editing, and original music. You're tremendously welcome, my dear. We are Sunday School Dropouts. Just a reminder, we love you very much and we're proud of you every day that you get out of bed and do what every you have to do. single day. We will be back next week. My name is Nico. I'm Lauren. And we'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye.